Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity M&A Group at Steichman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Sanjeev Samal. Sanjeev is the founder and managing partner of Round 13 Growth Fund. Sanjeev, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mario. Sanjeev, we always start by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves, about your case about Round 13. Uh, so I'd love to start there by learning a little bit more about you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, happy to give a little bit of background. Uh, I started my career uh, well over 20 years ago and uh, ran a number of the tech media telecom investment banking teams on Bay Street. Did a lot of the IPO work in this country, led a, a number of the IPOs, including several of the first SaaS IPOs in this country, and uh, did a lot of the cross-border M&A work over that period of time. In 2019, I'd kind of had enough of uh, the advisory business and decided to hang up my shingle, uh, wrote out a business plan for a late-stage growth equity fund, which I'll come back to later as to why I thought there was a gap in the market. And long story short, raised a couple hundred million dollars before the pandemic hit and partnered with a group called Round 13, and we launched what's now called the Round 13 Growth Fund. We're on our second fund, uh, have made about six investments, and uh, have a lot of dry powder to do uh, a lot more growth equity uh, investing in Canada. Tell us about Round 13. I mean, it's a unique uh, product in the marketplace. I mean, we need more of Round 13s, and it's great to have it. So love, love to learn more about Round 13. Yeah, so really what the uh, the fund I envisioned when we, we set it up in 2019 was I had a front row seat for what I thought was a gap in the Canadian market. And, and that gap was really money, yes, but also skill set at the later stages of company development. What I was noticing was in the earlier stages, there was lots of money, there was lots of people around, but as these companies grew from 15, 20 people, all of a sudden to 400, 500 people, from a couple million in revenue to 50, 100 million in revenue, typically they had the same groups of people around them as, as advisors to the management team or board members. And what I found was this was a uniquely Canadian problem. In the US, you had money and skill set at every stage of company development. And I kept seeing this gap in the market where there was another skill set needed as these companies approached a liquidity event. And as these companies got closer and closer to whether it was a strategic sale, private equity investment, or even an IPO, there was a different skill set that was required around the table a couple of years in advance. And so that was really the how I, how I set out uh, about the fund to, to really add a different skill set, add a different logistical element to these companies as they approached a liquidity event later on in, in their uh, existence. Round 13 focuses on minority, majority, tech. Uh, what's the sweet spot, if we like to call it? What's the sweet spot for Round 13? Yeah, so maybe I'll give a little background on Round 13. Round 13 has a, a, a few different uh, fund families. So originally, they were they were kind of started as a venture fund. So that was typically kind of A round, B round type financing, typically kind of $3 million to $5 million, $8 million check sizes. And that's they currently do that. They're, they're operating on their third fund. The fund that I'm responsible for is the Round 13 Growth Fund. That's a later stage fund, and we do minority with influence. So it's minority investing. We're typically investing 15 to $25 million in later stage Canadian-based growth opportunities. What's a growth opportunity? Software, hardware, health tech, uh, D2C. We, we draw the bucket pretty broadly as long as there's a nexus to Canada. And what we're really looking for is situations where uh, we have some influence around the table. So we want to partner with existing management, certainly not control but we do want to have a say around the table and we want to believe we can add value into situations, but equally, we want the companies to believe we can add value. And where one of those don't exist, we, we typically tend not to invest. And uh, the situations where we found we can uh, create the most value is situations where, like I said, we believe we can help and we also think the company believes we can help. I got to ask the million dollar question and I'm jumping right into it. 
people will want to get your perspective on what you're seeing out there. Yeah. Uh, especially with tech and all that's going on, the R word, the market slowing down, the public markets on pause. Yeah. Are you busy? What are you seeing? What are you working on? I'm sure people are going to want to know what's going on with you and the fun, given all that's going on on the macro side. Yeah. No, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, the short answer is we're extremely busy. Uh, hey. I, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, which, which we're very happy about. But I'll, I'll give you a little historical context, right? You know, the, the markets evolved dramatically. We came through a kind of a two, three year period of, you know, unprecedented valuations caused in large part by ridiculously low interest rates caused by a flood of money from from the government in, into the market. Liquidity was at an all time high. Valuations were at an all time high. And that that started tapering off earlier this year. I, I, you know, I'm going to get the month wrong, but call it March, April, May. We started seeing one, uh, you know, a war in the Ukraine, but two, the federal governments around the world really making a move to, to halt uh, inflation. And so how did they do that? They started creating uh, interest rates hikes across the board, which has steadily gone through through the year. Interest rates are extremely sensitive with growth companies. Growth companies are especially volatile uh, when it comes to interest rate hikes, in large part because they're a longer duration asset and interest rates affect the DCF values uh, in, in later years by more than perhaps uh, traditional industries. So that's had a particularly acute uh, impact on growth companies technology companies, and you've seen the uh, uh, whipsaw effect that's happened as interest rates have gone up, most of the technology stocks that you've seen out there have had a horrific year. And, and you know, many of them are off 30 to 70%, depending on which ones you're looking at. That's the public markets. And, you know, that's very clear what's happened there. The interesting thing is in the private markets and how sticky the private markets were, because, you know, we typically operate in the, in the private markets where we're investing. And there was certainly a lag. And I would say for the better part of the year, we didn't see great deal flow. And why didn't we see deal, great deal flow? Because value expectations were so dramatically uh, separated. We were very conscious of the public markets and we're kind of looking saying, hey, private market values should react. Maybe not dollar for dollar to the public markets, but certainly they, they should react. And I think the problem in the private markets was you had founders, management teams, boards who had been told their company was worth, I'm making up a number, 15 times revenue last fall. And then all of a sudden in the spring, they're looking at, you're looking at the public markets comps and they're off 60, 70%. They don't want to hear that their companies were, were worth significantly less. And if they didn't need to finance, they didn't. And there was this kind of head in the sand effect in, in a large spectrum of the private markets. There's a stickiness in part because pub, you can, you can play around with private valuations a lot more. If you're an existing fund who has an investment in a company, you can just do a, a reinvest and pretend it's the same valuation. So there's a lot of gamesmanship. There's a lot of things that could happen in the private markets that perhaps you can't do in the public markets. And I would say that that period of kind of head in the sand lasted for for better part of the year. I would say after Labor Day, we started seeing much more realism in the market. And we started seeing valuations come down to a much more reasonable level. And the gap, if there was any between private market and public market, we started seeing being made up in terms of structure. So we started seeing fully participating liquidation preferences, pick interest payments, a lot of downside protection, a lot of kind of gearing to, to give people kind of additional leverage or additional um, uh, value levers in the business that made up for that valuation delta. So I would say now our deal uh, quality is significantly higher. We're anticipating this to continue through 2023. Liquidity is going to continue to be at a, uh, at a premium. And we think um, it's going to be a great time to be investing. Sanjeev, 
has your thesis changed at all in terms of what you're looking for in a company with now that it's higher interest rate and some yeah. of the macro forces? And when you look, are you looking for something different or are you still looking at businesses the same way? It, it's, it's a really good question. So I think you have to evolve a little bit with the times. And so our initial thesis, which, which isn't dramatically different, but our initial thesis was we're going to look for companies that are later stage. And what is later stage for us? That really meant that we're you know, a couple of years away from a liquidity event, whether that, again, whether that's a strategic sale, IPO uh, or otherwise, and, and assist those companies to help optimize the liquidity event. That's still absolutely the, the business plan. I think what we have to be pragmatic about it with the market that we're in is those liquidity events, even for later stage companies, might take a little bit longer. So whereas before they're, they're as early as one to two years away from a liquidity event, I think we have to plan and, and underwrite perhaps a longer hold. And I'm not saying it's five to seven years, but perhaps it's two to three to four years. We have to be pragmatic that some of these liquidity events in the market that we're in without an IPO market, without kind of huge valuations anymore, that the holds may be slightly longer than what we initially anticipated. That's not dramatically different, but but I think we just have to be pragmatic that the market is different. And uh, th- those kind of liquidity events are going to be a little bit more challenged to do sooner. One of the things I've found in our conversations, Sanjeev, is you, you're a big proponent of the Canadian market. And, you know, some people will will say that the market's small or it doesn't have opportunities or not enough opportunities, but you're not that way. You, yeah. you, you find opportunities. And I want to get your perspective on kind of where you see the opportunities in the market, the type of company. You're out there and you're finding yeah. stuff. For those people who think stuff isn't out there, you're the guy who says, no, there is a lot out there, a lot of really good stuff out there. Yeah, I echo that. Like We certainly believe there's a lot of good stuff out there. We're trying to pick you know, the, the best opportunities to make money, but also to support Canadian companies. You know, I don't, I don't even know where to, where to start on the, the question. Like, I look at it and say, we have a deep, deep entrepreneurial ta- talent base here. We have a highly educated population. We have net immigration coming into this country, which is very uh, um, um, highly educationally focused. We have uh, a lower cost of operations, even with the tax rate. Our, our, you know, the cost of engineers is lower than in the valley. It's a great place to start companies, and it's much cheaper to start a company here today than it was 15, 20 years ago. So I look and say the base that we have here to create good companies in, in, in great hubs like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and other places is fantastic. And by the way, it's not even limited to those places in there. We're seeing companies pop up in all kinds of places. It doesn't even have to be in these hubs anymore. So that, that, that's the first piece I'd say is the, the conditions are, are right. Where I would say we think and what, what we thought the opportunity for the fund was, was we, we saw too many situations where there just wasn't enough skill sets being brought to the table. And again, I, I made this comment at the beginning. In the U.S., we found as companies evolved, they changed the group of people around them very regularly. Yes, money came in, but the skill sets around the, the company, whether in the company, around the company as advisors, on the board, continually changed as the companies evolved. And that was one of the problems I found in Canada. And one of, one of the things we you know, wanted to do our part to help solve or push these companies forward is to add another skill set. We're not saying we have all, every skill set necessary, but to supplement a skill set as these companies approach the liquidity event with pattern recognition. We've seen thousands and thousands of companies come through the Canadian market. We've seen some companies do really, really well. We've seen some companies do okay. We've some, some companies fall off a cliff dramatically. And there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from those over you know a couple of decades. That's really what we're trying to build uh, and bring to, bring to the table. But we, we, you know, to go back to your original question, we, we think there's an absolutely phenomenal base of opportunity in this country. And there's a particularly over the last five, 10 years, an emerging group of world-class companies that happen to be located in Canada. 
when you're looking for minority deals, often you, you can't rely on the sell side advisors because they don't really show them very much in our marketplace. They're kind of really focused on the majority deals. Where are you finding them? Are you, yeah. I mean, you knocking on doors. Where is, is, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not easy to find minority deals in Canada. You almost got to make them happen. Yeah. Well, how, how do you make them happen? I guess is the magic question. Well, maybe doing things like this, sitting down, talking to people like yeah. you, uh, who are deep in the market. Uh, but you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's not easy. There's not one place to do them. I, I would say, you know, I had the benefit of being in the ecosystem for, you know, 22 years as an, as an advisor, as an investment banker uh, tied to this ecosystem in Canada. So the, the great part about moving from that side of the business to becoming an investor, it's a lot of the same ecosystem. I'm still talking to the companies, the other investors, the VCs. I'm talking to lawyers who are deep in the industry like yourself. I'm talking to accountants. Uh, I'm talking to boards. I'm talking to a wealth of people. That's the same ecosystem we've, we've dealt with for you know 20 plus years. But to your point, it's doing all of the above. It's, um, there's no one place where our deal flow comes from. We're fortunate that we tend to get first call on a lot of deals. And um, just by virtue of having been in the market and having a trusted reputation for, for a long period of time. But we're hustling. We're, we're, we're knocking on doors. We're not waiting for the phone to ring. We're calling on companies. We're covering companies. Um, we're tracking companies. So it, it comes from every place that you can imagine. Uh, you know, the ones I mentioned in random places as well over time. So, but it, it's a constant hustle for sure. And I want to ask you, I always ask all our guests the crystal ball question mm-hmm. about where they see the market going. But I, I'm going to add another layer to it for you because you obviously started this fund in 2019 because you saw the Canadian market going a certain way. Yeah. And then obviously there's the market in front of us. And, you know, as you point out, interest rates and uh, inflation and supply chain issues. Yeah. So I, I'm going to kind of ask you to, on both because clearly in 2019, you had a perspective of where yeah. you saw this market going. So I want to kind of uh, noodle on that a little bit because yeah. I want to hear your perspective because clearly you, you were confident in 2019 and yeah. what you saw in this market and yeah. you're a believer in it. Yeah. And then layer onto it the kind of the year ahead yeah. what's in front of us yeah you know? great great question so the thesis was in 2019 as i've laid out you know there's an opportunity to help support late stage canadian growth companies as they are later stage and approaching a, a liquidity event over the ne- you know next few years that's the premise still fundamentally believe that i would say 2020 wasn't a great year to evaluate people on that because the markets were sky high everyone made money because you could throw money at something and it looked like you made money on paper. So not a great year to evaluate people because everyone was making money and looked like they're making money. 20, that was 2020 and 2021, same, arguably the same thing. Same thing. 2022, I would say the, the reverse is true, which is it was very hard to make money in 2022 because the markets were, were you know, like we said, down 30 to 70 percent, depending on which sector. So, again, probably not the best reflection on people to say I'm going to evaluate but I actually look at the market where we're heading into 2023 and say, that's going to be a pretty good reflection on what quality of companies uh, people are investing in and where the market's going. So I, I would say as a baseline, this is going to be a much more stable market to invest in. We're going to know what valuations are. Valuations aren't going to creep and run away from people. We could debate. We and All sorts of people have different opinions about how long the cycle we're going to be in will last. You know, there's thoughts that this could last a very long time that we're, we're, we're in a cycle. There's thoughts that it could last a short period of time. We don't know, right? And what, but what, what I'll tell you is how we're, how we're investing, which is we look at the, that two, three-year period of peak valuations, call it between 18, 19, and you know, early 2022. That two, three-year period when the market was flush with liquidity, the interest rates were super low, and that was a period that multiples, and I'll, I'll ref- reference SaaS multiples just for because they're easy to reference, you know, that's when we saw multiples getting to 15 times revenue, 20 times revenue, 30 times revenue plus. 
But if you look at the historical context of where, in that case, SaaS multiples have been, since the advent of, of SaaS companies, call it in you know the late part of the, the first decade of the 2000s, call it 15 years ago, they range from five to 10 times. They range from five to 10 times, and then in this two to three year period, they went up to 15, 20, 30 times. And guess what? In 2022, when the market traded up, guess where they are again? They're five to 10 times again. And so what we kind of refer to that as the, as a reversion to the mean. We're basically saying we're not anticipating multiples ever going back up to 15, 20. If they do, good for everybody. But we can't invest hoping and praying that they go to 15 to 30 again. We're, we're assuming that multiples will stay in their historical range, which is five to 10. That's how we're underwriting our financing. So what, what does that mean in terms of getting back to your question about where we're going in the world? That cycle could last one year, two years, three years. But we're, we're counting on fundamental growth from these companies and an exit multiple that reflects that historical range. How long will that take? Your guess is as good as mine. I kind of look and say, one thing has been clear. The federal governments of, around the world have said our stated mission is to crush inflation. It's to crush inflation. And how we're going to do that is crush consumer demand. We're going to do everything possible to crush in, uh, consumer demand. And by how do we do that? We raise interest rates, making it very difficult. So where and you reference the supply chain issues. So when you kind of take a step back, a year ago, you couldn't buy a car, you couldn't buy a boat, you couldn't buy a oven, partly because consumer demand was off the chart. So what's going to happen? All those things where supply has now gone the other way, they've produced all those things, and now you're not buying them anymore. So over the next year, your interest rates have gone up, you're not going to buy a new car, you're not going to buy an oven, you're not going to buy a boat, you're, and all those things are going to be sitting there. And we're going to see prices of everything come the opposite. So, you know, we, we keep reading this stuff about inflation's this, inflation hasn't gone down. And I think there's one downtick yesterday. These are all looking in the rearview mirror. When we sit here and we can debate whether it's six months from now, 12 months from now, prices are going to be down. A car is definitely going to be cheaper a year from now than it was six months ago. There's zero question about that. It's just a question of how much. Uh, so we look at that and say things will bottom out. Interest rates will come down as interest rates come down the valuations of growth companies will will appreciate. And again, that's why we say this is a great time to be putting new money into uh, growth companies at fair valuation and wait out the cycle here, whether that's one year, two years or three years. But that's the length of time we, we kind of see to, to kind of get out from under this. Sanjeev, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been great to hear your perspective and it's been great to hear your excitement for this marketplace at a time when a lot of people are kind of on the sidelines. And, and so it's uh, great to have you in our market and uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, Mariana.